Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program, the Gwinnett County Public Library System is rolling out a unique community project. It is called Unjudge Someone, a human library program. And it'll feature dialogues with people discussing their experiences of being stereotyped. So we'll learn more about that in just a moment. And also, is it okay to call you a diva then? I am divinely inspired, victoriously alive, awesome and I told you I'm a little bit audacious, too. So, yes, I am diva in the best senses of the word. And I, I encourage everybody to claim what's your diva. Who is your diva? Define her. All right. Now, now that's an Emmy Award winner. She's now an Emmy Award winner. But from our 2019 conversation with the incomparable Cheryl Lee Raff. That's all coming up. But we begin with this. It was sort of unique in itself. A bipartisan, public, private, and community level of support today as Georgia Governor Brian Kemp announced plans to help Atlanta's Grady Hospital due to the upcoming closure of the Atlanta Medical Center. Today I'm announcing that the state will dedicate some of our remaining ARPA allotment to provide $130 million to permanently increase Grady Memorial Hospital's capacity by nearly 200 beds. Grady is already in the process of adding more than 40 beds that will be available by November the 1st. So these additional 200 will come online in a rolling fashion as Grady moves into its new surgical tower next year. This is more than enough capacity to to cover the average patient census at AMC. Now, Fulton County Commission Chair Rob Pitts praised Kemp for the state stepping in and talked about the collaboration it took to come up with the plan. But what might be surprising is that Chairman Pitts said he wasn't surprised by Wellstar's announcement to even close AMC. Now, when it was first announced that uh, Wellstar would be closing that facility, I was asked many, on many different occasions by some of you here today, was I surprised? And, And the answer was then and still is, I was not surprised. I wasn't surprised because our county manager, Dick Anderson, and I had been in conversations with them about their Southside facility and their uh, plan to reduce services there based upon their economics. And during the course of those conversations, obviously AMC uh, Midtown, what I call Midtown, uh, came up and we knew that there were issues there. So they made a business decision. But their business decision obviously negatively impacted the citizens that that we serve. Grady Health System President and CEO Dr. John Hoppert said the new investment provides an enormous shot of health care resources for the community. It is our intent to bring upwards of 185 additional beds online as quickly and as safely as possible. This investment, combined with Grady's short-term capacity plans and the state's provided field hospital, will allow Grady to provide patient care to those who have been left behind. It is proof again why Atlanta can't live without Grady. Now, it's been a very busy day for Governor Kemp. He also spoke at the Family Research Council's Pray, Vote, Stand Summit. The FRC is an evangelical activist group and think tank, but it's also been cited by the Southern Poverty Law Center as a hate group that, quote, often makes false claims about the LGBT community based on discredited research and junk science, close quote. In other news, coronavirus cases in Georgia are trending downward, but with new waves on the horizon, health officials urge everyone to stay up to date on their booster shots, as we hear from Jess Mador. 
New confirmed cases in Georgia fell this week by almost 3,000 cases to under 11,000. Department of Public Health officials caution that because so many people test at home, case numbers don't reflect the true prevalence of the virus in the community. But data for confirmed cases show a steady decline over the last few weeks. Still, 138 people died from the virus since last week in Georgia and the Atlanta-based CDC recommends the updated boosters. They fight the original COVID-19 plus the dominant BA4 and BA5 subvariants. Jess Mador, WABE News. And you've heard this term before, RICO. Now, before Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis began investigating former President Donald Trump, she, began, she became known for prosecuting the Atlanta Public Schools cheating scandal and gangs. Now, Willis frequently used an anti-racketeering law known as RICO. As WABE Sam Greenglass explains the law, he also talks about why Willis might rely, rely on RICO as she looks at efforts to overturn the 2020 election. A RICO case has three components, an underlying crime committed multiple times and an enterprise organized to carry out those crimes. Norm Eisen with the Brookings Institution points to one focus of the investigation that could form a RICO case, campaign allies allegedly organizing false slates of electors for Trump. Trump ran a nationwide scheme with a particular focus on Georgia to overturn the election using these fake certificates. Recently, the special grand jury has sought testimony from local officials, campaign operatives, and IT consultants who allegedly tampered with voting machines in Coffee County after the 2020 election. Some legal watchers say that also suggests Willis has RICO charges in mind. Here's Willis at a recent press conference. I'm a fan of RICO. I think jurors are very, very intelligent. But they want to know the whole story. And so RICO is a tool that allows a process prosecutor's office and law enforcement to tell the whole story. been a lot of brouhaha about Georgia's RICO statute. I frankly don't think that makes a big difference. That's defense attorney Don Samuel talking to WABE in July. Samuel has represented the Georgia legislature in the proceedings. RICO is really useful when you have all kinds of disparate crimes, like a gang or the mob, and you're dealing with carjacking on one day and gambling on another day and murder, and you've you've got all these completely separate crimes. That's not what's going on here. You're talking about events that were fairly limited in time, if it's true, and it was all with one goal in mind. Once the investigation wraps up, Willis can ask a grand jury to issue any indictments. Sam Greenglass, WABE News. And a note of disclosure, Don Samuel, as you heard in that piece, is the father of WABE editor Molly Samuel. And another note of disclosure, WABE's broadcast license is held by the Atlanta Board of Education. The Port of Savannah has set another cargo record in what the Georgia Ports Authority say was its busiest month ever. They've said that before, too. Emily Jones reports it comes down despite a backlog of vessels. The port says it handled more than 575,000 container units in August, an 18.5% increase over last August. It's the latest in a long string of cargo records at Georgia's ports, which continue to expand their capacity for bigger ships and more cargo. The Port of Savannah is still working through a backlog of vessels, but officials expect the number of ships waiting at anchor to bring their cargo into the port to dwindle over the next six weeks. Officials also touted road projects expected to ease traffic in the communities around the Port of Savannah. The growth at the port has brought jobs to the area, but it's also increased road and rail traffic and led to massive growth in warehouse construction. Emily Jones, WABE News, Savannah. Finally, say it ain't so. Apologies to my favorite English teacher, Sister Mary Dennis, but a long-standing eatery is closing. The Zesto on Piedmont Road in Sobuck, also known as South Buckhead, as some of y'all call it. I don't know why, but y'all do. Well, it's closing this Sunday. You may recall the Little Five Points location closed in May of last year. And according to news reports, the Zesto owners, a family, have sold the property to an undisclosed buyer. Also going away, the Splash Laundromat and Fiesta Foods Grocery Store, other staples in the community. It's unclear what will be next. But again, Zesto on Piedmont Road is closing this Sunday. So get your last shake while you can. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from 
the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. The Gwinnett County Public Library System is rolling out something pretty unique and different. And I got to tell you, I've never heard of this. Kind of, sort of. But it's called the Unjudge Someone, a Human Library Program. And it will feature dialogues with people discussing their experiences of being stereotyped. So let's talk about this and get the backstory. Joining me now with more is Kari Evans and Linda Huang, originators of the Human Library Project for the Gwinnett County Public Library. Welcome to you both. Thank you for having us. Good afternoon, and thank you for having us. Full disclosure, I have a book that I think belongs to y'all. It's, it's <laughs> a few years. It's, it's, been, it's been old. Y'all okay, right? Y'all can come okay. get that, The right? library police won't come after you. You're fine. <laughs> Let's back up a little bit. The Human Library Project, how did this all come about? So the Human Library Project started in back in 2000 in Copenhagen, and they wanted to give... Copenhagen, a, Denmark? Denmark, yes. <laughs> and then it came, it just took 15 years to get to y'all? <laughs> well, 24 years? I'll little, let you explain. A little bit of time. <laughs> we were approached by a former Gwinnett County Public Library manager and... Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Gwinnett member and she had an idea to have the human library event uh, with Gwinnett County Public Library. So so did they tell you what it was about and yes they did. Uh, uh, Lorena Gay Griffin she came and knew that the Gwinnett County Public Library was interested in making sure that we had diverse programs and reached out to the community in a new and different way. And so we knew that the human library program or project would be able to challenge stereotypes and talk about different diverse perspectives. So did they do this, and we'll talk about process in a moment, but is this the same exact exact process they did in Copenhagen as well? It's similar. Okay. What's Okay, well, let's back up then. Yeah. How, how will this work? What listeners are saying, okay, but how does this work? Take us through it. Okay, so last year was the first time we actually did it, and we did it virtually um, because of COVID. And so this year we have the opportunity to do it in person. So it is kind of new to us in a way. Uh, We are very excited because there's going to be a more intimate human element that you can't have, you know, through Zoom. Um, So essentially, people are going to be able to come in um, Mm -hmm. as readers and check out these human books as if they were novels on a shelf. Um, They'll be seated with them and they'll have one on one personal conversations so that they can learn more about the individual. So let's stop. The human Mm -hmm. book. It's an actual person. Right. So have folks signed up ahead of time? How did all this come together? How did you let the community know about this? We've put out marketing information. We're letting our community know through the different library branches, and they'll be able to come and sign up at that time. And so did you also tell folks if they wanted to tell their story? Did you have a criteria did you all sort of go through and assess if this was or anyone who wants to sign up and tell their story? You said, come on in. We have a conversation with anyone that's interested. And then the Human Library in Copenhagen puts on a book training session. And so they get to share their story. For the storyteller. Yeah. So what is that involved? Did you all... Did- get a peek inside with that detailed yeah i actually was able to participate as a book through this training and it was unlike any other experience i got to meet people from all over the world and learn about what they've been through what their unique life experiences are and it's just an opportunity to talk to people you wouldn't normally be able to talk to and open up to them in a way that is very intimate that you kind of only share with friends and family usually did you open up as well i did did do you mind sharing 
Um, a little bit? A little bit, yeah. Um, I have what a, you feel comfortable sharing? Sure, sure. I have an invisible disability. Um, it's from an autoimmune disorder. Mm-hmm. So I was able to talk with someone else who actually has a different type of disability. Mm-hmm. And we kind of connected on a, a whole other level. Um, you know, we had different things, but we were able to share a lot of commonalities about guilt of not being able to do certain things and triumphing in a lot of ways and, and working through our pain. Did that work for you? Was it cathartic in a sense as well, it in w- any way? It was very cathartic. It was therapeutic because, um, you know, you don't always get to have these deep conversations with people. So it's, again, unlike anything I've ever done before. And it's a level of vulnerability. Yes. That, so when folks, if folks had questions about, in terms of being the human book, right? what questions they have in terms of how much information should they give or mm-hmm. did they seek advice and, you know, if there is a question that's, maybe given back to them and it's uncomfortable did you all work with them through that or was that in the training yeah, that is in the book training and then we have uh, walkthroughs that are taking place and so we cover that information about what to do uh, ha- how to handle if something comes up and they maybe need to step away want to make sure that the space is comfortable for everyone were there any limitations in terms of what you all felt was appropriate to discuss if you're if you're the book or if you're the person coming in to learn about someone's lived experiences do you do folks have to sign some type of liability or waivers that I'm not going to sue Gwinnett County Library because I heard I mean I'm just being you know keeping it real something that might have been even triggering I mean I imagine you had to have some parameters here right we do cover that uh, especially when the readers or the attendees come in we just set the stage a little and let them know about not necessarily parameters, but what will take place, um, how to create that safe environment, uh, some of what the human library calls the rules for readers. Let me ask you all this. In terms of the, the human books, do they know ahead who they're going to be ahead of time, who they're going to be speaking with? Can they say, I prefer um, someone who is from my community or someone from this community, or I'm open to whomever wants to hear my story? Yeah, They're open to whoever wants to hear the story, and the readers will be able to ask questions to kind of dive in a little bit to steer the story. But the book, it's up to the book to decide how much they're going to share or not. Again, making right. everyone feel comfortable. Linda, is there an age requirement for either the book or the person who wants to hear the so attendee? we are going with the age of 18, just in case, because there are triggering topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do let people know ahead of time what the general topic is uh, to see if they're going to be comfortable with that and make sure there's no great conflict. How many can you all accommodate? How many book, human book, little pods can you all accommodate at one time we've currently got nine or ten and that that's a good nice number so that the readers will be able to go around to the different books and and have a conversation so the reader can go to different stations Mm -hmm. yep can you do you you have to you can just pick a station or you just you can do one you can do all yeah you can do one or all Uh, when you come in you sign up for a station and you'll see if it's available or not and if it's not you might have to choose another one or wait uh, for a one session to go through to be able to work with the book that you choose. If you're just joining us I'm in conversation with Linda and Kari and we're talking about Unjudge Someone, a human library program from the Gwinnett County Public Library System. This is very unique, very different. Is it made different when in virtual is one thing but in person are y'all look because yeah. the first one is when? It is Saturday, October 1st. Y'all nervous? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. We're excited. Yeah. Let me ask you, someone says, okay, why are y'all doing this? Why are you doing it? Well, the Gwinnett County Public Library really emphasizes diversity and inclusion. And this is a perfect way to do that, to be able to create a space where the community members can come in and have a conversation and learn a different perspective and get to know different people, make that connection that I think, especially in this past couple of years, we haven't had been able to make that connection quite as well. As you all were marketing this, and, and I know one of your your marketing PR people because she's a former journalist fine journalist in this country Duffy Dixon as you all were putting this out there did you get a, what was the response like 
Well, it was actually overwhelmingly positive. A lot of people were encouraged by it. A lot of people were excited to be books. And we also have people that are handlers, which are the people who are going to be able to make sure the books are comfortable during the entire session, making sure they feel safe. Um, so, I mean, it's just been a great, a great experience so far. You know, Linda, when you talk about books, I'm just imagining a book that's actually talking. Yeah. You're referring to people as the human books. Correct. Yes. When the research that you all got and the information you got uh, from, from Copenhagen, were you, were you all able to, to say, okay, we know this is going to work, and if it's successful, we're going to keep doing this, or is it just a one and done? No, we hope to be able to do it next year and years, uh, years to come. Mm-hmm. Now, are there any famous books that are coming to talk? Can you tell us? You can't? We can't. We, can't, we, we, can't, don't, we, can't, we don't want to give it mouth, away. You can't mouth no, Kari. Yeah. <laughs> It's a surprise. You have to yeah. come and see. Yeah. You well, didn't ask me to be a book. <laughs> Duffy, I've, and I've known okay. Duffy next Dixon year. for next years. Next year. Well, we've got you down in the first spot for yep. next year. So I have a feeling somebody, a notable, is going to be a book, right? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what do you hope is the takeaway for this, a, a project like this, though? I mean, we're in such a divisive space right now, especially mm-hmm. in America. And, you know, there's, it's just black and white. That's the way a lot of people in our country are viewing things. But that's not the way it is. You mm-hmm. know, um, everybody is an individual. And that's the whole point of the human library is they have their book titles, you know, disabled, suicide survivor, um, you know, j- just anybody from any kind of background. But there's so much more than that. And we can all find commonalities together and learn to bridge the gap. I have a listener who sends an email saying this also sounds like a great program for youth. Have you all thought about perhaps with the success of this, maybe introducing this as a summer program for youth? It's something that we can definitely consider and see how we can adjust it a little bit to include youth. How long are the book sessions, as I guess we'll call them? With- 30 minutes. Wow. So mm-hmm. 30 minutes per st- station? Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And do you encourage the, the attendee, the person who's just supposed to listen, to, to really listen, not interrupt? As someone who does this all the time, we, we're trained to listen right. and not interrupt. Is there a portion where there can be a Q&A or do you encourage that? Yeah. And that is how it's set up. That yes, the attendee can listen, but they're also they can also ask questions to see what kind of story the book will tell. And it's designed that way for the reader to be able to ask the questions. Now, since you won't tell me if there's a notable or famous person or one of the celebrity, you know, housewives, celebrity people, I don't know. <laughs> can you tell me the range and how diverse the group of books will be? Yeah. Uh, like I said, we do have a black Muslim suicide survivor. We have um, people with several different types of disabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a transgender woman. We have a non non-binary person, people from different religions, mm-hmm. um, a Palestinian. So the list goes on. But again, there's so much more than those titles. How do you gauge the effectiveness of this in terms of you're not looking to change people's minds or, or mindsets. You just want folks to encourage people to dialogue and with individuals who they may not be aware of their lived experience but is there a feedback form will there be a time where you want to bring folks together and have a a session where everyone either you know sort of critiques and said you know first of all y'all could have had some donuts and coffee because <laughs> i'm sure that will be on the list you know but just a way for you all to assess this project yeah and we do have uh, evaluation forms that will be uh, completed and that that is part of the human library what they have asked and we do take a look at the feedback to see uh, what could be changed and we did look at it from last year to see what we could add for this year and then we've had people come back Mm -hmm. people who have attended they were books or book handlers and that wanted to participate again this year because they had such a great experience last year well will you have coffee and donuts we sure will are you just saying it because I just asked you? No. <laughs> We're going to have light refreshments for the attendees. Now, what does light refreshments? Because for some people, light means hot dogs and, you know, salad and, you know. It means coffee and donuts. <laughs> Granola bars. <laughs> as we wrap up, you all, as well as many library systems, know the importance, the important role libraries played during the last few years here with, the, with COVID and everything and being able to, if not just provide Wi-Fi for folks who were need to just sit outside and and, and do their work. 
how have you all survived these? I mean, in terms of, I know how you survived, but what do you make of the last two years with the importance of libraries during, during COVID-19, especially when everything was shut down? It was great to be able to provide that space. Sometimes it is a space uh, where people can go, but to also there were, were a lot of different things happening to people throughout these past couple of years and to be able to come into the library and to be able to look for a job, mm -hmm. to be able to use the internet, to be able to do things that they may not have been able to do and to be able to sometimes just gather, mm -hmm. maybe socially distanced, yeah. but gather with other people who are trying to achieve some of the same things they are. I have an, another email here. Is it too late to sign up? I think it is, right? It's too late to sign up to be a book or uh, attendee, right? Well, it is. We do have the books that we need, mm -hmm. but we would love for them to come on Saturday, October 1st to to be an attendee or a reader. Well, Linda, when are y'all going to do it again? Sounds like you need to do this again soon. I would love to do it next year. Um, it is a big endeavor, mm -hmm. and funding has been an issue, you know, with a lot of this. So um, as long as we have the funding, we can definitely do it next year. Well, y'all mm -hmm. had a phone number to Gwinnett County Commission people, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Linda's like, don't ask me any more questions. <laughs> Finally, Linda, you were a book, a human book. What do you want folks to know about just through your lens? your personal reflection on this? I just want people to keep an open mind and understand that, you know, we all have struggles. We all have to understand that we all go through something and acknowledge that, you know, one thing isn't more important than the other and that, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human and we need to work together to make a better world. Kari, I'll give you the last word. I'd like people to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that is going to be the way we can move forward. Things will be uncomfortable, topics are uncomfortable, but if we can talk about it and explore, I think it's gonna make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Originators of the Human Library Project for the Gwinnett County Public Library, Linda Huang and Kari Evans, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Again, folks who want to be in discussion with the human books, when is it and what time? Saturday, October 1st from 12 to 3 at the Lilburn Branch Library. All right. Thank you both for taking time. Good conversation. Thank, Thank you. you. I might be a book next year. Okay. Yes, we, please. We, we've got you down. <laughs> <laughs>Closer Look will return in just a moment. A programming note. On tomorrow's Closer Look, we remember WABE's longtime legal analyst, Paige Pate. The three things that really stood out to me in reflection this week in terms of just his ability as a legal expert on the air, it was he was available. Mm -hmm. So he always helped us out on deadline. He was knowledgeable. He knew what he was talking about ever. He did an interview and helped us with a story. And he was relatable. That's tomorrow. We're back in a moment. Support comes from Kennesaw State University, a leader in student-focused education. With two vibrant and diverse Metro Atlanta campuses, KSU offers over 180 undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral programs. Find your wings. Find.kennesaw.edu. And from the Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs, presenting the Elevate Atlanta Public Art Festival, September 16th through October 9th in venues throughout Atlanta. You can enjoy dance, art, fashion, music, and more. ElevateATLArt.com controversial programs in Canada aim to keep drug users alive by helping them get high more safely. More on this harm reduction program this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on 90.1 WABE. And Closer Look continues here from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Woo! Finally!
to anyone who has ever, ever had a dream and thought your dream wasn't, wouldn't, couldn't come true, I am here to tell you that this is what believing looks like. This is what striving looks like. And don't you ever, ever give up on you. That is Shirley Raff earlier in the week as she accepted a primetime Emmy for Best Supporting Role on the ABC sitcom Abbott Elementary. By the way, if you're not hip to Abbott Elementary, it's been a breakout comedy for ABC. It's about the plight of an inner city public school. Hey, yo. What it do, baby boobs? What y'all think about this little film crew I brought in here? Distracting, makes our jobs harder. But exciting, we about to be on TV. Because they are covering underfunded, poorly managed public schools in America. No press is bad press, Barb. (laughs) Now back to Shirley Rapp. Her career spans four decades, and it includes acting, singing, and activism. Back in 2019, she was in Atlanta, actually, to film an episode of Remember This, CBS's MacGyver. And, of course, she stopped by our WABE studio. Shirley Raff, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. I want to begin here because I learned that you actually rank joining the cast of Designing Women as one of the highlights of your career. Absolutely. What was it, it about is. that show? You know, it was about how I got the role. I mean, I literally went for it. You know, uh, Designing Women, I was very active in supporting the then governor of Arkansas. And I was a part of a group called Young Black Professionals. And I said, we are going to raise money for this candidate and we're not going to do it in the basement of a church with fried chicken. We're going to do something healthy, uplifting, and we're going to take it downtown. And we did it. And when the candidate walked through the door, behind him was the man that I recognized as the producer of Designing Women. I went up to that man and I said, how could you be doing this show in Atlanta mm-hmm. and them not know one black woman for Anthony to fall in love with? By the way, that will be Linda and Harry. Linda and Harry, yes. the Bloodworth Thomasons. There you go. That's it. And I just walk, walked up there and that man was like, who are you? I said, I am your host for this evening. This is my event. And he, as he tried to peel himself away from me, <laughs> he was like, have your people call my people tomorrow. That's exactly what happened. That's how I got that job. That confidence that you had then. Yes. But I want to go back to because when you were 19 years old, I wonder if you had that same innate confidence because at 19, you were named one of the top young women to glamorous magazines, top women to watch. Top college women women in America. 19. Yeah. You know, I read education for me has always been uh, at the pinnacle of success to be a a well-educated woman. That's what my father wanted for me. He wanted me to be someone who could walk with kings and queens and keep that common touch. That for him, he said, is the example of true womanhood, especially true black womanhood. I wanted to go to Rutgers University because an incredible man went there by the name of Paul Robeson. Mm -hmm. There was only one problem. Rutgers did not accept young women. And just as it would be divinely inspired, the last college application, my father gave me a little piece of paper, Mm -hmm. and it said, Rutgers University opens its doors to young women. That was the last college college application I put in, and I was accepted to join the first class of women at Rutgers College. And I graduated as the first woman to graduate from Rutgers College. I graduated near top Mm -hmm. of my class, and that has something that has stuck with me to this day. At that time, Mm. did you have your career goals laid out? Absolutely. I was going to be a doctor. Coming from the fierce West Indian background, my mother said, be a doctor, be a lawyer, and if you can't do that, then marry one. (laughs) Well, the closest I came was to play doctors and lawyers and get paid for it. She was never very happy with that decision until I rebuilt her house. Oh, then she was thrilled, (laughs) She was happy then. Yes. My baby made it. Yes. Even after 
Dina and landing that role in Dreamgirls? Did she still say, well, I don't know, baby, that, that may not no, work absolutely. out? Absolutely. When I was doing um, Dreamgirls, because we went through so many iterations of the show, we did quite a few different workshops where the actors literally are have a big part in the creation of the show. I really think to this date, we should have had a class action suit like the, the cast of Chorus Line did because they also went through through workshop. They did a class action suit. They now all share in the money that is made from Chorus Line. We had a huge part, just like they did, because Michael Bennett followed the same system mm-hmm. with, with us, but we didn't do a class action suit, so our rights were sold away, and we basically get nothing for the success of Dreamgirls. Could you and your fellow cast members, could you all feel that this was something special, that Dreamgirls was did. going to... I did. Yeah. I knew it. I felt it so much. When Quincy Jones walked out saying he didn't get it, I was like, we're going to be big. We're going to you're going to be sorry that you walked out on us. Every man has his own special dream. And your dream is just about to come true. Life's not as bad as it may seem. If you open your eyes to what's in front of you. You know, years later, he was like, you were right. That was my next question. Mm-hmm. So did Quincy come back and say, sure. Years later. Uh, okay. I, was doing a, um, I was doing the Hollywood Bowl, a Peggy Lee concert. And he said, mm, you were right. I was wrong about Dreamgirls. Often when I ask actors about live on stage versus in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. Nothing like live. Yeah, they say it. Woo! When you feel the vibe of your audience and they are vibing with you, I tell you, sometimes when the whole spirit comes together, it's like you're just taken off, especially when you're center stage. (laughs) (laughs) I believe that's where I was born. That's my home. That's where I live, center stage. I remember once I got really sick and Michael Bennett said to me, if you're going to die, you die center stage. And I was like, all righty then. So then in front of the camera, is it so much easier? front of the camera is you have such a safety net you you make no mistakes and if you make a mistake it's a gag reel then people get to laugh all of uh, again all over again so you know i i do love live tv like we shoot in front of a live audience mm-hmm. which is great because when that way when you're acting for live people they give you real reactions no laugh tracks you don't need the laugh track if you're if you're truly funny and they're really really laughing they only use laugh tracks a lot now when they're trying to time shows out. Mm-hmm. Say you get big, long laughs. They can't use the big, long laughs because yeah. the show is only 20 minutes long. So what they'll do is put in a, a laugh track. That way they can cut it off and make it what they want. How much self-work have you done on, your, on yourself? I'm always doing self-work. Self-work is some of the best work that you can ever do. As the great drag queen says, if you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else? Those words speak truth to wisdom because no matter what your situation is, you've got to be able to love yourself, encourage yourself, inspire yourself, lift yourself up and know that you've got the stuff that can carry on. Without that, it is a challenge. I asked actor Greg Allen Williams about... Very role. handsome man. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> I'm sure he <laughs> listens to the show. So oh, okay. <laughs> he'll appreciate that. And he talked about roles for actors as they season. Mm-hmm. And that in Hollywood, it's... It in doesn't between. happen, but yeah. God has been good to me, and I have been able to grow up in this industry. They have an organization called Better Brothers in L.A., and they honored me by surprise last week. And they did a compilation of my work, and people were fascinated. They said, Cheryl, you've grown up in the business. And when they showed it in a linear way, I was like, my God, that's my career, well, the fact, the mu- as much as they could put in four minutes, right there <laughs> in front of me. And it was amazing to see that God has given me so much and I continue to carry on. 
I remember seeing you on an episode of Good Times. Oh, my God. Yes, <laughs> Vanessa the Contessa. Oh, that night air is just murder oh, on my, my lip, lip gloss. <laughs> so fancy. I want to shift for a moment because you are among a few, and I do mean a few celebrities, who championed the cause of HIV AIDS yeah. at a time when, let me talk about decades ago. 30 when, years ago. And this has always been important to you. Oh, absolutely. People are important to me. And I have always, always felt the little church girl in me. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't do to them first before they do to you. Okay, see, I live by that. I want to embrace all people. And in times like these, I'm like, black folks, we don't, we don't have it that we need to leave some people out. I'm like, bring your gay children to the, to the front line with you, baby. Because those of us who are brave enough to be there, all hands on deck. And I'm saying I'm not leaving anybody out. But when I saw my friends suffer and die, and nobody came to their aid, I was like, oh, hell no. You're not going to act like these were not good people, mm -hmm. kind people. I say anybody that could help me with my wig, weave, weft, and wardrobe problem, <laughs> I got to remember them. Yes, and those are is, my friends. And this is through your foundation, Diva. The Diva Foundation, divinely inspired, victoriously AIDS aware, alive, awesome. If it was Sunday, we would be anointed. <laughs> but yeah, we are truly the Diva Foundation. And, and for me, that's very important because it's turned into my life's work, mm -hmm. which I did not know. Yeah. I, I did not know that. You know, to me, I was just doing what should be done. I couldn't understand why more people we're not doing it. How could you stand up for some of the people and find ways to hate other people? Mm -hmm. And my, you see me wearing this peace sign? Yes, ma'am. I'm praying for peace. I'm praying for the Muslims. I'm playing, praying for the Christians. I'm playing, praying for the Jews. I'm really praying for the Sikhs because the poor Sikhs are some peaceful people. And everybody keeps trying to tell them that they're Muslim. I'm like, oh, my God. Just this weekend, a young black girl called the police in Miami-Dade County for help because I guess an ex-boyfriend or a boyfriend held a shotgun to her head. Mm -hmm. And the police arrested her for not acting properly. Mm -hmm. They manhandled her in a way that was unacceptable. Raise hell about that. Mm -hmm. Raise hell about the disrespect of black people, especially black women every day based upon the color and the shade of your skin. And that leads me to this because when you were doing Moesha, and we were talking about this before we came on air, you know, here was a, a sitcom that was important because it told the, the daily life of, a, of a an African-American teen Come girl. on now, and we, we need haven't more seen that. that. We have not seen it, and that's why I'm working on the development of a new project right now. Girl, you got me hot. I had to calm down after that. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Oh. I'm working on um, developing a new series right now to bring back the image of the young black girl. Mm -hmm. we, we key in on her, then we forget about her. We key in on her, then we forget about her. When, this, when the young black girl is being attacked for her hair, it is bothersome to tell a young black girl that your hair is now just okay. After 400 years in America, people find us offensive. Your natural hair is not acceptable. You know, I think about Ros Rosalind Cash, who w became a dreadlock, mm -hmm. and how Hollywood want to just cut her out mm -hmm. for that unnatural hairstyle. I hadn't an, had, an, had, a, had it happen to me once. A producer said to me, when my hair was braid was braided I was a young woman and my hair was in braids and he said you need a much more natural hairstyle and my question was natural for who mm -hmm. and she was an outstanding actress too she was an outstanding actress a beautiful woman and they said oh hell no not your natural hair black woman will you discuss these Topics and more in your new podcast? Oh, my God. My podcast, you know, there's so much garbage out there, and I wanted something that could uplift people, that could inspire people, that they could listen to and walk away from it feeling good. So I called good for girlfriends. Like, I called Sherry Shepard to talk about, you think you know Sherry Shepard. She's a funny lady, mm -hmm. but her battle with diabetes, her battle with ex-husbands, what it's like to go through life with a child with special needs and love that child to the depth of 
of the earth to, and the sacrifices you make. Lonnie Love, what she dealt with, with acceptance of herself just the way she is, mm-hmm. with the death of her friend who dropped dead of a heart attack by herself and wasn't found. And she talks about what that felt like. When Dawn Gardner from Queen Sugar mm-hmm. talks about losing her father daily to Alzheimer's and what it's like to lose her favorite man on this earth. Ariva Martin has a son with autism and what it was like for she and her husband, for their relationship when that happened for them. And I mean, it goes on. We have just incredible conversations with real people to just help you know you are not alone in this struggle for life. You are not in lo- alone in the joy of life. You are not alone in the seeking of happiness mm-hmm. in life. So that's why we have Diva Defined. Is it okay to call you a diva then? I am divinely inspired, victoriously alive, awesome. And I told you I'm a little bit audacious too. So yes, I am diva in the best senses of the word. And I, I encourage everybody to claim what's your diva? Who is your diva? Define her. Do you critique yourself when you're watching? That's home? why I don't watch myself. I, I really can't because I'll always point out something about myself. Oh, my God, I got to lose 10 pounds. Oh, my God, why did I say it that way? Oh, my good, I should have looked at my God. I should have looked at him longer. Oh, why didn't they stay on that longer? Where's my joke? Yeah, I'm always <laughs> going through it. As we wrap up, I always ask this question and our listeners, they know it's coming. Can you define this journey you've been on? My journey has had its ups and its downs, and I thank God for every mountain valley of my life. Has it been easy? H to the no, no, no. But it has been what I was given. And probably if I was given one thing different, I wouldn't be where I am right here, right now, still thriving, still moving forward with new things on my horizon. So I am thankful for everything in my life. It's that same 19-year-old. I'm still a little kid. What is it? I'm never going to grow up. I'm going to still just be coming. Thank you so much for entertaining not only me, but a lot of people over the years. Continued success. Thank you very much. And that's exactly what God has planned for me. (laughs) That is one of my all-time favorite conversations from 2019. Cheryl Lee Ralph, now a primetime Emmy winner. Congratulations and well-deserved. I want to take another shift now because one of the biggest conservation projects in the state of Georgia is taking shape on the edge of Atlanta. The initiative protects rare plants and animals with miles and miles of land open to the public. And there are plans for much more. Molly Samner reports on the vision for the future of what's called the Dug Down Corridor. Last year in Paulding Forest, a fire had come through and a hillside of young pine trees was looking crispy. It looks a little bit desolate right now with a lot of brown trees, a lot of brown needles. Katie Owens works with the Nature Conservancy in West Georgia. She says most of these trees will be fine. They're longleaf pine trees native to Georgia and adapted to fire. And this one had been intentional, a controlled burn to maintain the health of the forest that's growing here. Grasses and ferns and things are going to be the first thing that come back in greenery. It's really a, a you know great transformation from burn day to just a few weeks later. The Nature Conservancy has been working with the state of Georgia to regrow longleaf pine forests like this one in the Paulding Forest Wildlife Management Area. The trees used to be dominant in the southeast, covering 90 million acres across the region. Now, only a tiny fraction of that is left. This was a site that just a few years ago was all loblolly plantation. Timberland. After the Georgia Department of Natural Resources harvests loblolly pine trees in this area, the Nature Conservancy comes in. And will plant longleaf pine. And do prescribed burning to bring the old forests back. There are rare plants and animals in these woods and endangered fish in the creek. Combined, Paulding Forest and neighboring Sheffield Wildlife Management Area add up to about 50 square miles of public land in West Georgia, 
protecting the forest and providing a place for people to hunt, fish, camp, and bike. And as the crow flies were less than an hour from downtown Atlanta, the Nature Conservancy is working with the state and a bunch of other partners on something even bigger here, a connected patchwork of public lands and privately owned forests close to 200 square miles from here to the Talladega National Forest in Alabama. We really are trying to think big picture. That giant quilt of forest and rivers is called the Dugdown Corridor. A lot of the land in this part of West Georgia has long been used for tree farms, and the environmental group, the Conservation Fund, is buying some of that property. This is a first thinning, so these trees here are roughly 15 years old. Jenna Schreiber oversees property management for the Conservation Fund. We're at a site the organization recently bought. Previous owners planted loblolly pine trees here for harvesting. Some of that logging is happening now. So we're watching the loader pick up trees that are five to eight inches in diameter on the large end and put in a pile and go through the delimmer. It may seem counterintuitive for an environmental group to be out here logging, but Schreiber says this is part of what they do. Conserve large tracts of land and working forest land. So, you know, supporting rural communities, supporting rural jobs. The money from cutting trees helps fund conservation work. Katie Owens with the Nature Conservancy will also work with private landowners in the area on using controlled burns and managing their property with conservation in mind. She says this all adds up not just to lots of room for people to get outdoors or for plants and animals to thrive now. The Dugdown Corridor will also serve as a refuge as climate change forces animals to move because big areas like this means there's a place for them to go. When we think about the impacts that climate change is having, we look at the areas across Georgia and we say, you know, where are species going to move when we see climate impacts? And this whole corridor, the Dugdown Corridor, lights up in terms of climate resiliency. The Biden administration has emphasized land conservation to help address climate change, create jobs, and address inequities when it comes to people's access to the outdoors. People involved in the Dugdown Corridor say this project, bringing together lots of people and different groups to work on this big vision, already serves as a national model. Molly Samuel, WABE News. And that is it for this edition of Closer Look. Our producers are LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Razel, and Pat St. Clair. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. As always, send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And if you missed any of today's program, it is always online, wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 7 p.m. as well as in our podcast. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.